You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. Our sermon this week needs to be a little different for two reasons. The first of which is I'm tired. Preaching at a microphone is far from normal or good. God's word has power because it is guaranteed by the Son of God. The word spoken and sent by his Father. And it is enacted and empowered in your life by the Holy Spirit. However, the echo of the word being recorded on my side and the lack of physical presence to put with the word on your side is not best. And us being out of the physical presence of one another is not best either. And the second reason is because there's a couple of other things that we need to address today. And so our audio today will have three parts to it. An announcement to look forward for information about our next physical gathering. Uh, a reminder about what makes our church unique to our area and why that is important. And then also a short sermon, actually mostly not written by me today, but instead mostly written by a pastor whom I deeply respect and whose wisdom and experience uh, makes me be very humble. <laughs> His name is Harold Sinkbeel, and the title of the sermon is When You Are Faithless, Christ is your faithfulness. So, to begin with, next Sunday, I'll be making an announcement about an opportunity for as many of us who are comfortable to meet together again. Now, this will not be a traditional church service, and it might not even be a weekly time, but I am seeking the wisdom and the advice of those inside of our church and those outside of our church to come to a reasonable and safe conclusion uh, about what that could and should look like. So next Sunday, I will announce that. Next up, we need to take a couple of minutes and think about the life of our church. Of course, we want to be a group of people who are brought together in the name of Jesus. We want to gather at a set-aside time and place that God has gifted to us so that we can receive his word and the many gifts that come with it. We want to be faithful and working diligently toward being a church that honors God and glorifies him as we look toward and, and point to our Savior. But there's something else that, from the beginning, our church has been set aside for. From the beginning, this idea has shaped the decisions that we make about the church. Everything from family meals to finances. About location, and also how we can best love our neighbors as ourselves. It is what makes our church both amazing and awkward. We, as a church, on purpose work to be diverse. This is often what I say, and I hope that you're catching on to it, or at least it sounds familiar. Anchored Baptist Church works to reflect 
the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus and as we scatter to share it. Again, we are working to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather for good news and as we scatter to share it. This is not easy. You could ask, are there better ways to grow a church? And the answer to that is yes, absolutely. You could also ask, are there ways that we could speed this thing up, Wade? Yes. <laughs> are all those means of, of growing a church wrong? The things that we're not doing? No, not at all. For instance, if everyone were, were generally alike in the room, in the gathering on a Sunday morning, if we all spoke the same language or dressed the same or sort of looked the same, is that wrong in and of itself? No. In many ways, you know, it would make preaching easier, both for the preacher, but also for the listener, too. It would take less time to do, well, basically everything. Or, what if we lightened up on the theology a little bit? Is that bad? Again, not necessarily. However, to properly understand who we are as people and to understand the importance of that person who does not look, talk, act, eat, or dress like you, <laughs> to understand that being made in God's image is not based on outside appearance, that instead it is something built in and created in us by our good and great God, deep and wide theology, that is our understanding of who God is and and how we talk, the ways that we talk, when we talk about God, then that kind of deep theology is necessary. For a church that is working to be diverse, a deep theology is needed. Now, you may have heard that my home country, uh, the United States, has been having some problems lately. Uh, you know, maybe for like the last 250 years. <laughs> Many of its problems are problems that are shared by every nation and every place in the world, if we're really honest. And we all know that the many struggles that the United States is facing right now, we also face them here in South Africa. The true Christian church is the biggest and most diverse worldwide movement that has ever been. And the many differences in that diversity can cause stress. But those points of stress are where we can most clearly see growth as well. The people of God can continually identify the baggage of all different cultures and, and what they bring or what they try to add to the gospel. And as a result of this work that the church all over the world is doing all the time, the gospel of Jesus Christ can be seen more clearly. As Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen tells us, Iron sharpens iron, as one man sharpens another. Church, we can greatly sharpen one another across our lines 
of difference. Church in America, in South Africa, in our little city of Hermanus, and in our church, the church's inability to pursue uh, racial reconciliation or even to pursue being comfortable with one another reveals a giant hole in our understanding of who God wants us to be and our understanding of sanctification. Look, a generally multicultural people has already begun to obey the call of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3-5. to Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. In our multi-ethnic, in our growingly diverse church, we can put on Christ in a way that overcomes a lot of historical baggage, in a way that heals grudges, and forces believers to think on behalf of others, instead of us always looking at ourselves. However, this does require forgiveness and patience, the kind that is shown to us and given to us by Jesus. It is also uh, by the way that we show this, right, as, as we live then as an example, uh, that while we're inviting others into our church body and while the world looks in from the outside, they can see what the, the power of Jesus' forgiveness given to us can do. God, in his grace, has gifted us the resources that we need to overcome uh, personal and, and cultural limitations. He's given us his word. He's given us the Christian church throughout history. And he's given us himself <laughs> in Christ. And he continues to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Anchored, we cannot let COVID-19 lockdown and the number of challenges that it brings knock us off course. We cannot let it distract us and pull us away from Christ or one another. Our enemy, Satan, would love uh, to do that. He would love to use the effects of lockdown to do that, and if we choose to ignore that he is doing that even now, we're going to be far behind in the battle. <laughs> we're going to be far behind in the defense. We're not going to be um, leaning on and looking to Christ in the ways that we should. And yet, Anchored, I want you to know that Christ holds us fast in our salvation, and you know what? He even holds us fast together in our diversity. When you are faithless, Christ is your faithfulness. If we were to consider faith as an experience that only took place inside of us, we would see that it is forever moving. It's forever in transition. It's always a moving target that we can't seem to hit or that we hit only some of the time. 
Sometimes it feels like God is in his heaven and all's right in the world. Some Christians can go on like this for days at a time, even weeks on end, without even a, a twinge of uncertainty or doubt. But that's not the normal. It's not reasonable to assume that your faith will always be strong and resilient. By its very nature, faith is usually all mixed up with doubt. That is because your faith differs from knowledge that you gain by your own thinking. Even though God uses word and water, bread and wine to connect with us, faith itself is rooted not in things that we touch or see, but in invisible things. The writer of Hebrews tells us that it is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For as long as we live, you and I will experience ups and downs in our life of faith. We can be at the top of our game at one moment and down in the depths in the next. Human emotions are like that, as we all know. Any number of things, what's going on in a given moment, even the phases of the moon or the weather outside can impact our mood and our feelings. Faith, however, isn't an emotion. True, as we look back on faith, it can often seem like a feeling. But faith is far more. Faith is the hand that grips onto the promises of God. Faith is trust. Faith is reliance on God and his word. It is a two-party arrangement, a mutual bond, and while God remains steady and firm, we often falter. This is easy to see in the history of Israel and their faith. God chose their ancestral father, Abraham, promised to make his descendants a great nation, and promised that the Redeemer that he first promised in Eden would come from their family. Through the centuries, he always renewed his covenant relationship with them. He promised to be their God over and over again. And in response, generation after generation of Israelites promised to be his people. After their long bondage in Egypt, God dramatically and miraculously delivered his people from the swift chariots of Pharaoh's army at the Red Sea. He led them safely through the waters on dry ground and brought them to the sacred mountain of Sinai. At the mountain, at that mountain, God personally appeared to Moses and the elders of Israel. There he renewed the covenant he first gave to Abraham and vowed once again to give them his gracious blessing and merciful hand to guide them. At Sinai, God spoke to his people through his prophet Moses, giving them his law to tie them to himself. And with one voice, the people of Israel responded, Exodus 19.8, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. 
But what did the people actually do? Look, even a, a quick reading of the history of God's covenant people shows how undependable they were in their relationship with him. They turned to other gods at every chance they got. Instead of turning to the Lord who had brought them out of slavery in Egypt and delivered them with his mighty hand and outstretched arm, they broke his commands in letter and spirit. They regularly embraced the idolatrous and adulterous ways of the pagan nations among whom they lived. And you might think that their faithfulness would improve when God entered human history in person, born in flesh, but no. The pattern of ancient Israel carries through in the church in the New Testament. While Jesus deliberately handpicked his twelve disciples to establish his new Israel, their faith faltered as well. On the night in which he was betrayed, after the Last Supper, Jesus informed his disciples that they would fall away when he was betrayed to his executioners. And Peter objected, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Matthew 26, 35. The other disciples said the same. Of course, before that night was over, Peter denied that he had ever even known Jesus. The very next day at Golgotha, the whole crowd of disciples, with the exception of John, Jesus' mother, Mary Magdalene, and Mary of Cleopas, abandoned Jesus to die the agonizing, shameful death of crucifixion. I think I can understand Peter and his friends. At times, I am utterly convinced that I can suffer anything, even death, and not part from Jesus. At other times, I'm not so sure. Judging by my words and actions, the sad reality is that, like Peter, I find new ways to deny the Lord who bought me with his blood. Over and over again, I have failed to live according to the commandments of God's law. Not only have I done things that God forbids, but just as grievously, I have not done things that he commands. I have lived as if God did not matter, and as if I mattered most. My Lord's name I have not honored as I should. My worship and prayers have faltered. I have not let his love have its way with me. And so my love for others has failed. There are those whom I have hurt and, and those whom I have failed to help. My thoughts and my desires, my head and my heart are stained with sin. And I suspect that it's the same for you. But my point is not that you and I are sinners. That's true. <laughs> Instead, I want to shine a light on what should be obvious, but we too often forget. Our faith is up and down like the tide from day to day. As a subjective, that is something that's coming from within you, felt experience, faith is on again, off again, hot and cold, strong and weak, sturdy and frail. But faith does not hinge on our feelings. 
faith does not depend on our personal experience. It is rooted firmly in the promises of God. Like Paul explains to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 13, when we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. When calamity strikes, when trouble hits, when pandemic comes, when the economy crashes, when your health crashes, when your experience of life in the world points to panic and worry and the need to depend on yourself, you can count on God. You can count on God not because you feel close to Him, but because He remains close to you in His Word for Jesus' sake. In the midst of uncertainties in your life, you don't need to wonder about His feelings or attitude toward you. Though your faith might fluctuate, his promises never waver. All the promises of God find their yes and amen in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1.20 In life's tight spots, focus not on your faith, but on God's faithfulness. Look not at your promises to him, but his loving promises to you in his son. Rest assured, those promises include your name. And then, freed up from the continual up and down of faith's emotional roller coaster, you can with confidence rest in and rely upon Jesus' person and work for you. You can with confidence utter your hearty amen to God's eternal glory. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.